The Lady Parts Doctor podcast is a health podcast focusing on issues that affect women and those assigned female at birth. However, it is for everyone. This is our safe place to talk about the things that matter to you involving your spiritual, mental, and physical health. It's not medical advice. It's medical information. We talk and I give you the evidence with a little bit of my personal and professional experience sprinkled in. So grab your wine, your tea, your water, whatever it is, relax, and let's chat. Welcome to the Lady Parts Doctor podcast. I'm Dr. Stephanie Hack, the Lady Parts Doctor, and thank you for joining me. I always love it when we chat, and it's been a little while. And I will tell you the reason. March is Endometriosis Awareness Month, and I have been writing and putting together the information for this podcast for the past two weeks. I really spend a lot of time finding the sources and making sure that I present you with the most accurate and up-to-date information. And then sometimes I just get lost in the specifics. And then I was like, wait, hold up. We're just kind of going with the basics. We're going to give some additional information, but this isn't a dissertation. I don't want to overwhelm you. We're having just a casual discussion. So I was like, all right, girl, get it together. We're talking about endometriosis and today is actually the last day of March, but I'm going to make sure that I publish it (laughs) before, before the first day of April. Okay. With that said, in our last conversation, I was just, it was very celebratory for me. It was a reflection, but I was celebrating the one year anniversary of the Lady Parts Doctor podcast. We have 43 episodes and If you've been there since the beginning, following along, I thank you. If you came in somewhere in the middle and you've just kind of taken on to the show and been here since then, I thank you. And if you're new and maybe this is your first episode, thank you. It's a lot of fun. We try to keep things very uh, informal here, but still providing you with good information that you can take forward with you make whatever healthcare decisions you are making for yourself or those that you love. With that said, we're talking about endometriosis. It's something that Whoopi Goldberg, Tia Mowry, Padma Lakshmi, and Monica all have in common. You would never guess, right? If I posed that question to you, you'd be like, what do they have in common? It's endometriosis. These women have all suffered from endometriosis at some point in their life. And you may be thinking, that sucks for them. I wonder how they got better. Or perhaps you're wondering how it can be prevented. Or you could be thinking to yourself, um, okay, what is endometriosis? In this episode, we're answering all those questions and more. I want you to leave with a basic or enhanced understanding of endometriosis, what it is, how it's diagnosed and treated, and things to do to prevent or at least minimize its occurrence. So what is endometriosis, also known as endo? 
Endometriosis is a condition where the tissue that lines the inside of the uterus called the endometrium is also located outside of the uterus in the pelvis. It affects approximately 11% of women between the ages of 15 and 44 years old, which is more than 6 million U.S. women. That's a lot of women. These rogue endometrial glands and their surrounding tissue are most likely to be found in the peritoneum, which is a membrane that lines the inside of the pelvis. So if you were looking in your pelvis, you would see kind of covering the the surface, something called peritoneum. These glands can also be found on the ovaries, the fallopian tubes, the space behind the uterus, and on the outer surfaces of your pelvic organs. So on the outer surfaces of like the uterus, your bladder, your intestines, your rectum. However, it can exist out of your pelvis too, and in rare cases, it's even been found in the lungs. The endometrium is programmed to respond to changes in estrogen levels in your body. This is perfectly fine in the uterus, right? Because in the uterus, increases in estrogen cause the tissue to grow, the endometrium to grow in preparation for a fertilized egg. That is what is supposed to happen. However, outside of the uterus, this growth can cause the surrounding tissue to become inflamed and swollen, and that can lead to scarring. The scarring can then cause adhesions in which your organs and other tissues kind of adhere and stick together. They stick to one another. As you can imagine, these adhesions can be painful, especially before and during your period. What causes endometriosis? Well, Now that I've got your attention, let's talk about it. Although we don't fully understand what causes endometriosis, the most common theory is something called retrograde menstruation. While some of the blood flows from your uterus into your vagina during menstruation or your period, blood also flows in the opposite direction through your fallopian tubes and into your pelvis. That's not a typical thing, but that's a theory for what happens for endometriosis. Once in the pelvis, the endometrial cells can implant onto the surrounding tissue and respond to your monthly hormone changes, just like they would if they were in your uterus. Another theory is that the cells in the peritoneum, that membrane we discussed before, that the cells in the peritoneum are transformed by our hormones into endometrial-like cells. It's called the induction theory. Or that hormones transform embryonic cells into endometrial-like implants during puberty. And embryonic cells are cells in our body that are just in very early stages where they could just become many different types of cells and many different types of things. Surgery, like a C-section or myomectomy, may also allow endometrial cells to attach to the incision, allowing them access to the pelvis. So think about if you had a C-section that gives a chance for those cells that are typically inside the uterus to kind of work their way out or attach on the inside, and that allows the tissue to grow and get access to the outside. So these are all potential theories. And then there's one more 
finally, that endometrial cells may hitch a ride on your lymphatic system. And your lymphatic system is a network of tissues, vessels, and organs that work together to move lymph fluid back into your bloodstream. And so if these cells hitch a ride in your lymphatic system, it allows them access to your entire body. That could for example, explain why you could end up with something like endometriosis in your lungs. These are all theories, but again, the most common is the retrograde menstruation. What are the symptoms associated with endometriosis? The most common symptoms, the most common symptom, I should say, is pain. Chronic pelvic pain, painful periods, and painful sex are all fair game. Period pain often begins before the period starts and continues throughout menstruation. Sex may be painful with shallow or deep penetration due to the pulling and stretching of endometrial tissue. It's been described as sharp, stabbing, and a deep, widespread aching. If other organs are involved, their function may be affected as well, like bladder involvement. That can lead to painful urination and blood in the urine. Bowel involvement or involvement of your intestines can lead to painful bowel movements, constipation, and bloody stool. Other symptoms include heavy bleeding with periods, bleeding between periods, bloating, nausea, and fatigue. Like none of this sounds good. None of this sounds good. Okay. But here's a fun fact. Not everyone with endometriosis has symptoms. Furthermore, the stage of endometriosis does not always correlate with the amount or severity of symptoms. Someone with a lot of endo can have little to no symptoms, and someone with a little teeny tiny bit of endo can have debilitating symptoms. It's interesting, right? Well, how do you diagnose endometriosis? Diagnosis can be difficult because many of the symptoms are shared with other conditions and there are no specific tests. You know, if I listed all of those symptoms that I just went through, I know a lot of us are like, yeah, that's me. That's me. That's me. Does that mean that you have endometriosis? No, it doesn't, but you could. Currently, the only way to definitively diagnose endo is with surgery. And definitively diagnose means the only way to diagnose for sure is surgery. A diagnostic laparoscopy is performed during which a small incision is made on your abdomen. It's usually made around your belly button. And a small camera or laparoscope is placed inside your abdomen to look at your pelvis. This can be done by a generalist OBGYN, that's someone who does OB, does GYN, that's their specific specialty. We call ourselves generalists, that's me as well. Or a specialist, like a minimally invasive gynecologic surgeon. Sometimes even a GYN oncologist might do this. And we use the location, the extent, and the depth of endometriosis implants the presence and severity of uh, adhesions and scar tissue, and the presence and size of ovarian endometriomas. Endometriomas are when the endometrial implants implant in your ovary and they can create these large cysts of endometrial tissue. We call them um, chocolate cysts. And we, because it's like chocolatey, 
and you'll never eat chocolate again now. I apologize for that, but that's what we call them, chocolate cysts. But we use all of that information to assign a stage to endometriosis. And then seeing the endometrial implants in the pelvis is sufficient for a diagnosis. However, sometimes biopsies are also taken. But look, you can even sometimes have a laparoscopy and endometriosis can be missed. Biopsies are taken from any suspected endometrial implants or suspicious areas and then sent to the pathologist for evaluation. And they study the tissue under a microscope to confirm the diagnosis and that they're endometrial glands and say, yes, they have endometriosis. As you can imagine, waiting years to observe your symptoms, to obtain a diagnostic procedure, all of that can be dissatisfying. So for this reason, some in the field are calling for a clinical diagnosis that so that patients may have relief sooner. So we're not waiting to actually begin treatment. In 2019, Argawal et al. published a study to examine the accuracy of clinical assessments for diagnosing endometriosis, which resulted in the creation of an algorithm to help assist with doing so. It requires an evaluation of the presence of symptoms, reviewing medical history, performing a physical exam, and obtaining radiological imaging. That would be something like an ultrasound or an MRI. The hope is to identify and treat sooner so that we can prevent long-term issues like chronic pelvic pain and infertility and improve the quality of life for those with endometriosis. Are you enjoying the Lady Parts Doctor podcast up to this point? If so, please pause and head over to wherever you're listening to leave a positive review. Your reviews help people who might enjoy the podcast as well make their way on over and get the information that they need. If for some reason you are not enjoying the Lady Parts Doctor podcast, please send me a message at drhack at ladypartsdoctor.com and let me know what you think we can do to improve. Okay, back to the show. What's the link between endometriosis and fertility? It's estimated that up to 50% of women with endometriosis also have infertility and that approximately 40% of women with infertility have endometriosis. Mm -mm -mm. Now, does that mean that you can't get pregnant with endometriosis? No, not at all, but it can complicate things. Here's why. Inflammation caused by endometriosis could potentially harm the egg or the sperm or affect their movement through the fallopian tubes. Also, inflammation can lead to scarring of the fallopian tubes and pelvis. Affecting any of these steps or any of these processes could prevent fertilization of an egg, thus preventing pregnancy. So how do you treat endo? Now this This is an entire podcast episode in and of itself. So I'm just going to be brief. Endometriosis can be treated with medicine, surgery, or both. Much of the treatment just depends on your plans for future pregnancy. If you're considering pregnancy in the future, but not now, and you want your pain managed now, medication is the initial step. 
NSAIDs or non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs may help to decrease pain. The evidence doesn't show that they definitely do, okay? But they may help. And if they help you, that's perfect. And that's what you need for now. Hormonal medications are another option with the goal of ovarian suppression, which basically means preventing menstruation, preventing the hormone creation and release by the ovaries. Surgery can remove endometriosis lesions. Also, it can remove adhesions and scar tissue, and it's usually performed through laparoscopy, which we mentioned before. That's putting the laparoscope or that small camera into your belly to look around, and you can also put small instruments through additional small incisions on your, on your abdomen to do the surgery. Surgery can also be performed to remove the uterus and ovaries for what's called definitive treatment. Definitive treatment basically means treatment that should be all that you need, one and done, or all said and done. I guess that's probably the better way to say it. Although even if you do definitive treatment with surgery and a hysterectomy and oophorectomy, your symptoms could still return. One study actually showed a 10% chance of recurrence of symptoms after having a hysterectomy with an oophorectomy. So uterus removed, ovaries removed. For many women, the pain associated with endometriosis improves after menopause, which is a good thing. However, those taking hormone replacement therapy could still have symptoms. So what are the risk factors? You're listening to this and you're like, I mean, maybe it sounds like I could have some of these things, but like, am I at risk for having these things? So let's go through just a list. Early menarche, that's getting your first period. Getting your first period before 11 years old, that's a risk factor. Having menstrual cycles that are less than 27 days, so shorter cycles, that's a risk factor. Heavy, prolonged cycles, that's a risk factor. Never giving birth. Having a later menopause. The average menopause occurs around 51, 52, but going into menopause like at 55, we'll say, for example, that's a risk factor. And all of these are associated with a prolonged exposure to estrogen, if you're wondering what's the link in those conditions. Some additional risk factors include a low body mass index, a family history of endometriosis. So if your mom's got endometriosis, your sister's got endometriosis, your mom's mom, your grandma has endometriosis, you might also have endometriosis. That's pretty much what that means. Also, disorders of the reproductive tract. All of these are risk factors. Does having them mean that you definitely have or will have endometriosis? No, it just means that you're at a greater risk for having endometriosis. What can you do to prevent endo? There are things that you can do to reduce your chances of developing endometriosis. And these methods involve keeping lower levels of estrogen in your body. Things like regular exercise, for example. Regular exercise decreases the number of fat cells in your body. Fat cells have an enzyme or chemical that changes or converts certain hormones, specifically androgens, into 
estrogens. Androgens are what we typically think of as the male hormones, changes them into estrogen. So if you have a lot of fat cells, they're working hard to give you a lot of estrogen, which could then increase your risk of developing endometriosis. If you use a hormonal birth control, try one with low or no estrogen. Alcohol and caffeine consumption have been shown to increase estrogen levels, so decreasing intake to no more than one drink a day may also be helpful. I know, when you try to come at someone about their caffeine, they're always clutching their pearls. So don't clutch your pearls. This is is just additional information that could be helpful for you. You don't have to drop down to one cup of coffee or less, although that might actually be very helpful for you. So I probably would encourage you to do that. Moving on. Continuing with diet, a literature review from 2013 showed that Women with endometriosis seem to consume fewer vegetables and omega-3 polyunsaturated fatty acids and more red meat, coffee, and trans fats, but these findings could not be consistently replicated. I'm a firm believer that our diet does affect our health. We know that it does about other things, so these are just things to keep in mind. For those who've had children, a study also found that higher parity, which are pregnancies resulting in a delivery at greater than six months gestation, at greater than six months pregnancy, and increased duration of lactation or breastfeeding, were associated with a decreased risk of endometriosis. These are all potential things that could decrease or increase your risk of developing endometriosis. What opportunities for improvement do we have? Oh, there are so many. It's estimated that six out of 10 endometriosis cases are undiagnosed. Furthermore, black women are almost 50% less likely to be diagnosed with endometriosis compared to white women. I found that interesting because I, in my doing, doing my research, came across an article that talks about the history of endometriosis and the man who first started kind of making a link about it, linking it to infertility. But when he was diagnosed or when he was learning more about endometriosis, there was a thought that it was less likely in black women, more likely in white women. It was interesting because I had never learned in my training that endometriosis was less common in black women because it's not a thing, but that was a common thought that people had. So bottom line, we need to use an individualized and patient-centered approach when it comes to diagnosing and treating endometriosis in our patients and Your doctor needs to do that for you. And really that's the case with everything, right? Like you always want your doctor to use an individualized and you-centered, you-focused approach when it comes to diagnosing and treating any condition that you have. How can you talk to your doctor? This is one of the few times I will suggest that you go to the internet. There's an article on WebMD on how to talk to your doctor about endometriosis. And I think it has great info to guide your discussion. Or if you need talking points, if you're someone that gets just kind of anxious when it comes to having these conversations, or you really want to make sure that you advocate for yourself. And so you have the right words and things to talk about. I think this is a great article. I've reviewed many of these topics in this episode, so you will be well prepared. First things first though, 
write down your questions before your appointment. I have to write down everything because you definitely don't want to forget something that's been on your mind. Second, gather as much information about your symptoms. How long have you had them? Do you have any potential triggers? Gather as much information about your symptoms as you can, and that's just going to be helpful for you. I've included the link as a resource on the blog post that corresponds to this podcast so you can go find it. But if for some reason you lose your notes or you're unable to make this list, still have the conversation with your provider. I had someone recently tell me, oh, you know, I didn't want to tell you I went to my doctor and I didn't have a list of questions. And I'm like, that's fine. (laughs) The list of questions is just to guide you. By no means do you need to have this. I don't want you to be hard on yourself about not having a list and not being prepared, but it, it just kind of helps you start to think in a way that makes it easier for you to provide the answers to these questions if someone asks and when your doctor asks, because they will ask, they should ask more questions if you have concerns. So we have covered a lot of information in this episode. And again, it really could be a series of its own. This could be a whole podcast. And I'm sure there are multiple podcasts on endometriosis. So if there was an area that you want to discuss more, let me know because there's research and there's information. And again, it could be another episode in the series. It's been great talking to you. Before you go, make sure you subscribe to the blog, the podcast. You can subscribe on Apple, Stitcher Audible, iHeartRadio, Amazon TuneIn. Leave your review. There's a YouTube channel. You can follow me on Instagram at LadyPartsDoc, on Twitter, everything. Let me know if you have any questions, stories, or ideas you want to share by emailing me at drhack, D-R-H-A-C-K, at ladypartsdoctor.com. And if you're interested in booking for presentations, consulting, or other events, you can contact me through the website. Remember, Lady Parts Doctor is not just a podcast. The podcast is part of it, but this is a whole women's health platform. Okay. We're doing all kinds of things over here. (laughs) It's been great. Take care of yourself until next time. Mm